good singing this evening. You may be seated. Amen. Take your Bibles this evening and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. I'll be preaching the first four Sunday nights, and then our Sunday school teachers will fire back up in February, starting with Brother Keith Seaman. And then we are doing it in a staggered fashion. Instead of four, five, or six, it's going to be two and three lessons from each because we are developing so many good teachers here in the church. That's a blessing. It's a wonderful thing. And so we're looking forward to that. And I'm going to blow your mind. In 14 and a half years, there might be one or two lesson or sermon series that I've preached where I don't have overheads. I mean, I know I'm Mr. Technology. Y'all love that. But overheads and handouts and outlines, you got nothing tonight but the Bible. That's pretty good. Uh, so 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is where we will, we will be. We're going to do a lot of flipping. So if you're on a digital phone or a digital Bible, so maybe an iPad or a Kindle or on your phone, you're going to do a lot of swiping. The rest of us are going to do a lot of turning the pages in our Bible. But to me, this year, I want us to answer in these first four Sunday nights, who are we? And you're saying, wait, you're asking us that? <laughs> and the answer is, we live in an age where churches don't know who they are. I would even argue churches don't know what they are. Uh, I have, in recent months and years, watched every form of idea be thrown out as to what a church is. And what I want to do over the next four Sunday nights is just remind us from the Word of God who we are. So I have to ask the question, who are we? Since it's Sunday night and we're a little more casual and we can let our hair down if we have any, uh, we will ask this question. Let me ask you this question. Who are we as a church? Okay, we're the body of Christ. God's people. Who is the church? Who are we as a church? I see some of the teenagers getting ordinary looks like I'm going to throw out a crazy answer here. Be careful now. Who are we? I, I will tell you, I call them the killer bees. There's four bees, and that's what we're going to look at over the next couple nights. Brother Keith gave us the first one that we're looking at actually tonight. And I don't even have notes, so he couldn't even cheated. We're looking at the body tonight. What are the other bees? What is the church? The church is a bride. The church is a building. And the fourth one that I would give is the church is a blessing. We'll look at that in the fourth Sunday night. We, in this age that we live in, churches are looked at as pariahs. And by the way, many of them are. They're like leeches or vampires. They grab onto people and suck the life right out of them. Is that what a church is supposed to be? According to the Bible, no, the church is a blessing. And yet, if we, as the Sunday night folks, the Sunday school folks, the Wednesday night crowd, the, the people that are the core attenders of church and want to be involved... If we don't know we're a blessing, why would the world want to know we're a blessing? What blessings do we have? We'll look at those in the coming weeks tonight. I want to look at the fact that we are a body. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 27. Paul speaking, and we're going to come back to this passage. That's why I drew this as the text. We're going to look at this passage in great length in one of our points this evening. But simply for our reading 
and time for prayer and then getting into the sermon. The Bible says this in verse 27. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. Father, this evening as we come to you and look at the word of God, I pray that you would open our hearts to understanding. Open our minds to your principles and open our lives to the practice. I pray that you'll help us this evening, Lord, to understand what it means to be a part of Christ's living body. What a thought. What a concept. Help us this evening to understand as part of that body what we are to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I must say this evening, if you're part of the church family, at least here at Bluegrass, you must have been saved, trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, and then be scripturally baptized after your salvation. That's it. Uh, If somebody comes to join the church, and Jessica and I have had thousands of people in our home through the years, that's the only question we ask. Tell us how you got saved, and in the process of telling us how you got saved, tell us, have you followed the Lord in believer's baptism or baptism after your salvation? And if you have those two, the answer is you can join. Well, but pastor, what if I have a lot of baggage? Well, then get rid of the baggage and join. Because there's no reason you shouldn't be part of this body, this family, this bride, this building, so that you too can be a blessing. The Apostle Paul tells the Corinthian believers here that they are the body of Christ. The church is called one body in Christ in Romans 12 and verse 5. It is called one body in in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 17. Here it's called the body of Christ. Again, it would be called the body of Christ in Ephesians 4 and verse 12. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 3, the writer there tells us that the church is the body of Christ. The church is clearly equated with the body of Christ in Ephesians 5 and verse 23, and we'll look at that full passage this evening, and again in Colossians 1 and verse 24. When Jesus Christ came to this earth, that's what we celebrated a week ago today, when Jesus Christ came incarnate in the manger, when he lived and ultimately died, was buried and rose again, when he entered into this world, he took on a physical body. In fact, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 10 that it was a body that was prepared for him. Through his physical body, we know that Jesus demonstrated the love of God clearly. He demonstrated the love of God tangibly, and he demonstrated the love of God confidently as he walked this earth. After his bodily ascension into heaven in Acts chapter 1 and verse 11, Christ continues his work in the world through those of us who are redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the church. And thus we are called his body. Quite literally, we are the hands and the feet and the mouth of Jesus Christ in this world. And we as a church must come to understand that. We are his body. When we say it, we don't just mean it in some kind of metaphysical way. Literally, if there is good to be done in this world for the cause of Christ, it's going to be done by us. Not just only Bluegrass Baptist Church, but every local New Testament church that takes this book and practices it simply. It is our responsibility to carry out the work of the body of Jesus Christ. The church is the organism through which Christ manifests his life in the world today. Boy, when you think of it that way, it changes your participation in, 
your reason for being a member of a church, it really changes the dynamic. It's no longer something that becomes a casual taking attitude, but rather an actively engaged process in your life. And so as we understand it, then there's a couple thoughts that I'd like for us to do. If you're note takers, I know my wife likes to take notes. She always writes in her notebook. But if you are a note taker, I would say the first thought this evening is the body of Christ that we are has a form to it. What is our form? How are we formed as a body? What form do we take, we might ask? Why are there different forms of churches? I mean, we've seen them across the land. By form, I simply mean the shape or the configuration, the particular way in which the church exists as we know it. May I say, God knows why a church forms, and God knows what form the church local will take. The form begins with its head, and we could say that is our mind. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter number 1. Ephesians chapter number 1, what I'm going to try to do tonight is not give you every verse that says the church is the body, but I'm going to try to point you to every verse in the Word of God that teaches us principles about the body. Uh, My job in edifying, since I began the church, Sunday morning is always preaching that exhorts, Sunday evening is always preaching that edifies, and Wednesday night, the preaching and the teaching that goes on is always about supplication, because we're praying one for another and we need to have areas of our life supplied for. Tonight is about edification. It's learning. It's building up. It's sharpening ourselves. And there's no way to sharpen yourself with my wisdom, only with God's wisdom. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 22, the Bible says, And hath put, well, this is the end of a sentence, and what, has he, what is he talking about? Well, he's talking about the fact that Jesus Christ came. It's a prayer for knowledge, a prayer for enlightenment that we have discussed before from verse number 18. It's in that context of that sentence from verse 18 as it flows that we come to verse 22. The Bible says, And hath put all things under his feet, that's Christ's feet, and gave him, that's Jesus Christ, to be the head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him that filleth all In all, Jesus Christ clearly is the head of the church. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. What is this mind of Christ? What does it mean that he's the head of the church? It means that he affects the way we think, the way that we corporately go about our business as his body. Paul says this in verse 16, and I'm going to back up and deal with some verses getting to it. It's like Bible sword drill night. I see some of you flipping around, and thankfully so far I haven't told you to go to the book of Hezekiah. You're laughing and wondering if that's in the Bible at all, but it's not. In verse number 16, the Bible says, For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we, he says, have the mind of Christ. We as his body, we as believers, have the very thinking process. We have the indwelling spirit of God, the mind of Christ that dwells within us. Well, if you go back here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 
You can see what Paul is talking about. Look in verses 5 and 6. He says that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Why do we have to have the mind of Christ? Why is Jesus Christ being the head over all things that we do so critically important? The answer is so that we don't stand in the wisdom of men. Howbeit, he says, we speak wisdom among them that are perfect or mature, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. As his body, we clearly love him. He, as our head, shares with us the wisdom and the knowledge that pertains to righteous living day by day. For what man knoweth the things of a man save the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judges or is able to discern all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. In other words, there's no convicting in our lives from outside because we are discerning from the inside. We have the mind of Christ through the Spirit of God revealing our direction and aiding our decisions through His Word. Here are some truths that we just read. The mind of Christ stands in sharp contrast to the wisdom of the world. Christ directing us as a body involves wisdom from God that was once hidden. The mind of Christ is given to believers through the Spirit of God. We find also in this passage the mind of Christ cannot be understood without the Holy Spirit's help from verse 14. The Holy Spirit indwells and enlightens the believer, infusing us with wisdom that is the way Christ thinks or His very mind. You will never find in this place, in this body of believers, a decision made that starts with, Pastor feels like this is the right thing to do. Really? I mean, don't you have feelings on certain things? I have lots of feelings on lots of things. But if the head, if the mind of our body informing us is Jesus Christ, then we must always come back and say, Thus saith the Lord. The decisions we make in this body are done through scriptural direction and spirits, the Spirit's leading. So when it comes to any aspect of ministry, whether it's people, whether it's programs, whether it's possessions that we have or property that we own, movement or decisions to act and or changes that are made start always in the Word of God. What does the Bible say? You say, well, the Bible doesn't tell us what to do with a three and a half acre piece of property and a 17 acre piece of property. Sure it does. It always tells us to be good stewards of the things that we own. It tells us to always make sure that we understand the principle that the borrower is servant to the lender. And when it comes to people, it always tells us that we, to be, we are to be serving one another in love. 
So every decision we make, whether it's people or programs or possessions, as a body, the formation of what we do, how do we take our form, is what does the head tell us to do? What does the mind of Christ say on this? By the way, there's a reason I'm teaching these lessons over the first four weeks. We're growing. I can remember 14 and a half years ago when it was five of us on a Sunday night, or 12 of us on a Sunday night, or 20 of us on a Sunday night, and now we're in the 100 plus, heading towards 200 when everybody's back and healthy on a Sunday night. That's a blessing, but it's also a burden. It means there's decisions we have to make. Well, who's going to make them? Well, collectively, we sit down and have good counsel, but the decisions on what's next for us always comes from the head. What are we going to do? Well, what does God say to do? He wants us to grow. That's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. Don't take that as a bad sign. It's a wonderful blessing when God grows his work, when he expands his body. That might be the only time it's good for a body to expand, right? It might be the only time. I don't know. The answer is, how do we do these things? It is with the proper mindset that we will grow God's work according to God's will. Every body has a mind. Most bodies have arms and legs and hands and feet and fingers and toes. So besides the mind in our form, we must consider, second, our members. What about all of the functional parts? If the internal spiritual things are of God, then the external manifest things, are they also of God? And the answer is they're through God, but they're by our hands. Different people are built for different things. I've watched a bit of football over the last couple days. It's football time in America, right? Because of the bowl season and because of the NFL and whatnot. I will tell you this. When I watch and see there's a nose tackle that's 6'6", 356 pounds, I realize that at 5'9", and 164 pounds, I am not built to be a nose tackle. I understand my body type is different. I watched a little basketball the other day, and I realized that I am not framed to dominate the paint at 5'8", 5'9". My body is not framed to birth a child. Sorry, Science, the real kind of science, tells me that. My physical body has abilities that match my physical frame, and so it is with the body of Christ in the local form. There are churches that accomplish different things, all for the glory of Jesus Christ. As a pastor, it never ceases to amaze me as I look out across America and I look out across the global missions effort as well and see the different types of churches. Oh, there's common DNA because the same blood of Jesus Christ redeems us and flows through this body that is local, the church. But the process or the form of the members is always different. The church that I grew up in, Everybody was a general, everybody was in charge, and everybody was a leader. The church that I pastor, we're very friendly, and we're very serving, and we're very capable. Anybody a general in here? One of my best friends in high school, his dad was a retired three-star general in the Air Force. I was always intimidated going over to their house. 
And then I realized he was a Tennessee fan, so I didn't have anything to be intimidated by. He's in heaven, so I can make that joke now. Here's the point. Our membership is going to be different. When churches try to corporately compare themselves one to another, there's a lot of trouble that starts. God is putting together, he's forming this body. We're going to look at our fit in just a moment in our second point. But he's forming this body with the DNA that he wants. He's bringing and placing into the membership those that are necessary. Take your Bibles and go to chapter 5 of Ephesians. Turn over to Ephesians in chapter 5. We see the process of how God goes through, not just the fitting, and we'll talk about that in just a few moments, but we're talking about the membership and how he forms each of the members. You are important to God, and your importance to God is that he invests in your life, that he's interested in you. The passage that I'm going to read to us in chapter 5 is verse 23. It is used most commonly with marriage Either pre-marriage counseling or post-marriage counseling or couples retreats or sermons on the home and the marriage. But I'm going to use it in the context in which Paul intended it to be written. And by that I mean the secondary message is about message. The primary message beginning in Ephesians 5 and verse 23 is about how Christ loves the church. His body. Notice verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Why? Verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word that he might present it to himself a glorious church. Now stop for just a moment. As the head forms us, the members, as he goes about forming us, he is very concerned that verses 26 and 27 are actually true in your life as members of the body. That he might present it, that is the whole of the church, glorious, not having spot or wrinkle. Now stop and think about the body for a second. At age 46, I've got a lot more sunspots on my skin that I had than when I was a kid. I got some wrinkles. They call them laugh lines because I like to have so much fun in my life. But the point is, is that I got a lot more spots and wrinkles than I did when I was, than when I was 16. Well, that's just what happens to a body. But Christ says, I don't want spots and I don't want wrinkles in the local church body. And may I say to you, that means there are some members that might be wrinkles and they might be spots. Now, that's the inference from this passage. You say, which one do you think I am? I'm not the judge of those things. Jesus is. But as a member, we certainly don't want to be in the category of a spot or a wrinkle. He said, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord loves and cherishes the church, he says in verse 29. For we are members of his body of his flesh, and of his bone. Do you believe that tonight? I mean, if you're going to ask the question, who are we? We have to start by saying, well, we're Christ's body. What does that mean? We're part of his flesh. We're part of his bone. We're part of him. And he is part of us. 
Verse 32, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. What a truth it is to know that Jesus Christ cares enough about our church in the DNA or the form and structure of our local body that He brings those in that help its health. But He also focuses on those who are here and in the body now to make sure we are without spot or wrinkle and that we ourselves are a glorious church. Who are we? We are a body, and that body has a form. But number two, we have a fit within that body. There is a fitting into that body. Now, I know when preachers preach on this, we usually will hear things like, Are you an elbow? (laughs) Are you a pinky toe? Right? Pinky toes never get noticed until it's in the dark of night and you're walking through a room and you catch it on the side of the bed rail. And you're like, ah! Pinky toe! Bless you! But it's necessary for something to teach us what words we need to get out of our language, right? (laughs) Ephesians chapter 4, if you'll turn over there. Let me ask this question when we talk about fit. How do I, or how do you, fit into the church? Now, some of you are thinking, well, I think we know how you fit in, Kyle. But that question is equal for all of us. We're all equal in Christ. How do you fit into the church? How do you fit into this church? Well, here's the Bible's speaking on that. In verse 11, the Bible says, And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Now let me pause for a second. This is a gift from God to the church. You're welcome. But did you know what a gift can do? I'm saying that in the sense that I know my function. I know what my fit is within this body. I've been given to be a pastor teacher in this place. Can I tell you a gift? We all just had Christmas. And when someone gave the gift, nobody received the gift. And in taking the gift, did the gift go, I don't like you, I'm leaving. And it get up and walk away by itself. And I mean, I guess if you bought somebody a dog, it might have done that. But in truth, it's not going to do that. A gift does not, here, here's a gift for you. And the gift says, nope, I'm leaving. That changes how preachers look at their position. A lot of preachers get puffed up in their head and say, well, you know, I'm the pastor of this place. I'm pretty important. The answer is, no, you are a gift, and a gift can only do what it's supposed to do. If you keep that in mind, you'll never be a puffed up preacher if God calls you to be one. He goes on in verse 12, for what are they given for? What is their purpose in being given then? Their job is to perfect the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect or mature grown-up man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Until this body is able to function at its peak performance, you could read that to say. The fullness of the measure of Christ. In other words, as Christ was ambulatory and walked on this earth, this body here should be able to do the things that Jesus did. Preach, teach, and heal. We go on, that we henceforth be no more children or immature bodies, 
tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, that is each member of us, each of us in our own fitting is fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint or every member supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part or every part of that body, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Our fit begins with proper placement. Fitly joined and compacted. Did you know that God places you in the church? I have never asked any person to join this church. The only one maybe was Jessica, but she was already sold on me when she married me. So she said, sure, I'll join when we planted the church. But I've never asked someone to join. If I ask you to join, then you join for me. But if God leads you to join, then you join because of him. And he has fitly placed you then in the right body. What does this teach us, by the way? This this concept of being fitly joined or placed by God removes so many obstacles to our spiritual growth. It takes away any member being more important than the other. It also increases connectivity within the body. Hey, if they've been placed here, they must be important. Well, I don't see them as that important. Look, if they've been placed here, they're important. Why? Because God chose to place them here. Well, I don't know, Pastor. I think you should should have done a more thorough job of making sure who joined this church. If you're saved and you're baptized and not living in wanton sin or in rejection of God actively, you can join. Well, it's got to be a higher bar than that. Really, there's no higher bar that I find in the Bible. No member is more special to God than another is what this tells us. He joins us. He knits us. The word compacted is a beautiful word here. When I read that word, I always think of hamburger that I patted together from ground beef. That's the concept, is that you have a log of ground beef. I mean, you can tell where Jessica and I shop, right? We just buy logs of it from Walmart or wherever it is, the cheapest place the log is sold. Is it 90-10? And the answer is it's probably 50-50 sometimes. But the point is, we get that ground beef as cheap as it can come. And when you get that ground beef out and it's time to grill the hamburgers, what do you do, men? You take that patty and you compact it together into the form. And if you're really smart, when you put it on the grill, you dimple it. So that way when it grills, it doesn't have that big hump in it that people don't like in a hamburger, right? But that's the idea of compacting. You've taken out of that lump, you've smushed it together, you've knit it together, you've compressed it together, you've made it ready. Every time I read the word compacted, that's what I think, and now you will too. You're welcome. I know you're hungry. The word compacted means more sense when we read it from Colossians chapter 2 and verse 2. He's talking to them about the Laodicean church and what his desire is for the church at Colossae as well. He says that their hearts might be comforted being knit together in love. That's the idea of compacted. Later in verse 19, he's talking about false teachers and false doctrine that is running rampant and ruining that body, that church. And he says this, You, or that church, not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands, having nourishment ministered and knit together. That's the idea of being compacted. 
The ultimate end, he says, if we do hold the head and we do understand that the body by its joints and bands is nourished, being ministered and knit together, it increaseth with the increase of God or at God's discretion. In other words, God weaves together his body locally here at Bluegrass and has chosen to make you a part of it. Isn't that great? Isn't that good news? I think the second thing on fit rather than placement is purpose. Back to Ephesians in chapter 4, I noted in that particular passage, he says, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part. Before that, he said, that which every joint supplieth. What does it do? The end of that verse in verse 16 says, It maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself, or the building of itself up in love. What purpose do you serve within this local body then? Well, I don't know, Pastor. I thought you were going to tell me that. My job is to lay truth before you. It's God's job to make the revelation within your heart so that it's real. My job is to apply it and show you the truth and to give you the truth. But at the end of the day, I can't tell you what your purpose is. I can tell you it's to glorify God. That's simply true from the Bible. But beyond that, I don't know why God has placed you here. I don't know what God wants you to do here. But if he's got you fit here, there's a purpose for you being here. Whenever we get to a point, and we rarely do, but when we get to the point where people are saying, oh, we need more nursery workers, I always pray for poor Jen. I pray more sometimes for Chris because Chris has to hear from poor Jen about getting nursery workers, right? Everybody can work in the nursery. You do not need to take a spiritual gifts profile to pass that test. Everybody, I mean, I guess technically you've got to know how to change a diaper, right? And men, we're out because of the world we live in. We don't want men back there changing diapers. But ladies, if you can change a diaper, you can work back there. What about greeting? What about working on security? The point is, is I could go on with a list of things that we can do. I don't know what your purpose is. So many in this hour, in this Sunday evening, are already serving wonderfully well in multiple capacities. That's not the point of the message. The point is, you need to know why you've been fit here. The placement and the purpose of being a part of this local church. You are here to contribute, literally the Bible has told us, to the body's increase, its growth. Have you? Are you? Let that thought sink in as you consider how you've helped increase the body over the past 12 months. Well, I've been faithful in sending my money to this church. You haven't mentioned money once. The body doesn't grow because of a bank account. The body grows because people are invested and involved in that place. It might also cause you to think what your purpose is over the next 12 months as part of this body. The third and final thought this evening before we go to have time of communion is our function. We have our form. That is through the mind of Christ and through the membership. We have a fit that involves placement and purpose, but we also have function. What are we to functionally do as a body? I finally, this afternoon, went and found the He Gets Us. I'm tired of seeing it on the commercials. How many have watched that? How many have seen know what I'm talking about? Raise your hand. Jesus was a refugee. Now you're starting to know the commercial. You're like, oh, yeah, now I know the one. If you look at the, the little .com, it says hegetsus.com. Well, if you follow the two of the He Gets Us and go to the About page, 
because I have boys that watch that, and they, they tell us, well, what does it mean? You know, is it, it's, they, they literally say, we're not a political movement, but all of our commercials are about political movement. Okay, whatever. It is from a group in, I think it's in Utah maybe, or Colorado, that is called the Servant Foundation. And they are the called, or they are from the Church of the Servant is their name, and they're the United. Actually, Oklahoma is where it's from. They're the United Methodist of Oklahoma. Well, now I've got a better idea of what their paradigm is, where they're coming from, right? And so we understand it a little bit better. But I wonder: is the function of the church to stir up political strife? The answer is no. But we shouldn't shy away from it. Is the purpose of the church to right every wrong in society? No, but it's good that we have those in our church and that we're connected to that are in law enforcement. I love that idea. It's good for us to live by the laws of man because they're ordained by God. It's not a problem. In fact, we came into the church on Friday, and one of the sheriff's deputies was sitting out here, and I thought, oh, man, what have they done? Well, they're coming for me now. No, I didn't think that. I got out and said, good morning, officer. How you doing? Oh, I'm just filling out a report. Do you need any coffee, any water? No, well, if you need to use the restroom, it's here. I'm just filling out a report. He's there. Pam came in and others came into the church. It was, he was there for two hours filling out that report. I don't care. I'm glad he's here. I'm glad he feels welcome at our church. He always should. So it's not that the church is to be involved in all of the political process or it's there to just police the community. The church, as a function, letter A, is to commune. Now go with me back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is where we'll spend the rest of our time this evening before we go to communion. What are we to functionally do as a body? The first element is that we are to commune one with it. We're to participate with each other. We're to have union and be unified together as a body. How do I know this? Well, the Bible says it very clearly here. To a disunified, disorganized, very unhappy, dissatisfied group of people called the Corinthian church. But here's what he teaches them beginning in verse number 12. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jew or Gentile, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. In other words, we're not automatons. We don't all have to think alike. We can have our own opinions, but we are unified in communion together. There is a surrender and subjection one to another. If the foot shall say, because I'm not the hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? The answer is, of course not. It's foolishness to think so. I mean, there's been times where I've smashed my thumb with a hammer and my left hand has wished it was no longer part of my body. Or maybe I should say this, the rest of my body wished it wasn't part of my body for that time. It hurt! And I yelped and I yelled and it wasn't fun. He goes on, of course you can't just leave. And if the ear shall say, because I'm not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. Back to the idea of you being placed here in your fit. But we understand then that there is a unifying element of being together. Verse 19, and if they are all one member, 
where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body? What a beautiful verse that is. Verse 20. As a pastor, I constantly or will perpetually come back to this passage of Scripture and remind myself with the diversity of people in our church family. Even on the sampling on a Sunday night, the diverse backgrounds that we have, the life choices that we've made prior to accepting Christ, whether you were young or whether you were old, it is a beautiful thing. And when you come to verse 20, you can say, but now are they many members. They are a variety of members, but they are one body. That's a healthy thing. That's what brings us together in communion. Romans chapter 12, verses 4 and 5 say, For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and everyone members or dependent upon one another. Communion with each other takes time. If you just come on a Sunday morning, you're not going to know the body. doesn't mean you can't be a part of the body, but you're not going to know the body. If you just come to church and that's the only time you talk to other members of this body, you're still not going to really know the body. You might know them nominally more than those that just come on Sunday morning. There needs to be participation. In the coming weeks, we're going to begin talking a little bit more about expansion of our life stage groups, our life stage fellowships that we have here. They are wonderfully led and they are wonderfully useful in that process of making the church known to each other. But the question is, do you want to participate in it? Jessica and I have led the home builders for the last year or year and a half or so. And I can tell you, sometimes it's like pulling teeth to get people to come to a life stage function. Well, we're very busy. I know, but you're only part of one body on this earth. The local body. Are you saying it's more important than my kid's ball team? I'm saying sometimes it should be. (gasps) And I coach my kids on their ball team. I understand that. It's hard. But if your life is so busy that church is just a piece of it, you've missed the concept altogether. That's who we are. We're to commune together. We're to fellowship together. We're to participate. Communion takes time. It takes attention and it takes care. How much do you care for your fellow church member? Man, the prayer app has been blowing up. (laughs) Some of you were changing this year to the church app that we have, and if you don't know how to download it, you can see Zach. Uh, (laughs) He thanks me. Uh, But the point is is that on that, if you followed the prayer list, man, as soon as everybody started moving to it, but Heather's the one for years who's been sending those texts. Heather, I don't know how many texts you've had to have. I mean, your phone must explode. Blake must look at you and go, Woman, slow down. How many texts do you get? And the app is good, but my notifications the other day were like, pachoom, pachoom, pachoom. it was like fireworks show. Why? Because the body was asking other members of the body to be engaged in praying for them as a member of the body. That's a good thing. That's healthy. It's called communion and participation with one another. Communion means we are aware and attentive to both the success and the needs of of others. Our function is to have communion one with another. When Paul tells us to do good, he begins by saying, do good to all men, but especially them of the household of faith, this body. Letter B, it is to care. That's our second function that we see. Beginning in verse 21, 
And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, or no, much more, those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, I read that the way I intended it. Well, that person's just not as good a Christian as me, but you know, they're part of our body. That's what that phrase, less honorable, means. Upon these we bestow more abundant honor. He said, listen, if there's somebody struggling, don't throw them out of the church. Go and find how you can help them stay a part of the church. Well, pastor, that's your job. Oh, yes, that is one of my primary functions. I fully understand that as an under-shepherd. But I'm going to tell you, we're going to get to the point numerically where I won't be able to do that consistently. And I will need other members of the body to say, hey, chief, you, go, you know what's going on over here? Oh, I didn't know that. Thank you for telling me. Thank you for making me aware of that. He goes on and he says this in verse 24, For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body but that the members should have the same care one for another. That is our function, to care for one another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. What is the best way that you can care for someone? The answer is to serve them. When you serve someone without the expectation of thanks, without the expectation of recognition, when you do it because you love Jesus Christ and you love that other person and expect nothing in return, then you've understood the basis of good care. God has equipped you at spiritual birth to be part of a spiritual body. No matter your comeliness or uncomeliness, as it tells us in verse 23. It doesn't matter how mature in the Word of God you are, how important you think you are, or how new and novice you are. If you're a part of this body, you're necessary, he says. and We should care for one another. This evening, um, I have a couple guys uh, help me if I can. Brian, could you come help me if you don't mind? Um, Jamie, if you don't mind, come help me. Keith and Ryan. Uh, I've got some spiritual gifts profiled. We do this. This is the closing thought. Uh, They're right there, brothers, uh, if you'll divvy those up. Um, How many have ever taken from the church here the spiritual gifts profile? Raise your hand real, real, real high. All right. So most new members take this. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want you to take it home, and I want you to fill it out. And you say, well, I've already got the answers. Well, good. It shouldn't take you long. But when you come up with, and it's pretty straightforward as you get it, when you come up with what your answers are or what your score is or what the numbers are, what the result is, here's what I'd like for you to do. In the past, we've not really done this, but what I'd like for you... Do we run out? Oh, man, we done run plenty out. All right, uh, Miss Pam is in here. Oh, she's on it. I see her running. Scott knew what I was heading for. She'll make some copies. If you don't get one, just see Pam afterwards. Uh, And if you're a man, she'll assume you're not looking for the Refresh Your Life book for the ladies' Bible study. But otherwise, she'll get you one of those outlines. Um, I want you to fill it out. 
Do you know what your spiritual gifts are? Look, you can't understand your placement. You can't understand your purpose. You can't understand how you commune and how you care if you don't know who you are individually. And being a member of the body, I need to figure out if I'm a pinky or a pinky toe. Now, the spiritual gift does not tell you what you are in that sense, physically. If I'm an eye or an ear, if I'm a kneecap or an elbow, right? If I'm a cheekbone of either side, right? In other words, as we understand it, there is a need to know who you are. And what I want to know is when you fill it out, if you'll be willing to bring it back and let the church staff see it. Because then we can start to see if you have the gift of teaching. At this point, we have a good number of men who are teachers. We also have a great number of ladies who are teachers. And we also have a great need for teaching. And so if you have the gift of teaching, it'd be nice to know that. So if you'll bring it back and just drop it either in the offering plate or drop it in the box, maybe not in the offering box out there, but drop it on my desk, put it on Pam's desk, put it out here on the welcome booth on Kathy's desk. We'll collect those. Just sign your names to it. That'll be for next Sunday. Because next Sunday, we're going to be looking at the fact that we are a building. If we're a building, then we have use or usefulness. There's something that we're functionally supposed to do. It's going to flow off of the fact that as a body, we also are a building. What does that mean? And the meaning of it is we need to be used for God's glory. You have been placed here on purpose to meet a fit that God has for his body. And in so being placed, you must function through care and communion as God has directed us. So tonight, what I'd like to do as we begin the year, and knowing that we are looking at being a body and communing together, is actually participate in the Lord's Supper, a time of communion together as a family. Now, what we do in this participation is if you are not a member here, you're welcome to participate if you're not a member of another church locally and you haven't found one yet. But it is an ordinance given to the local church. It is an ordinance that is for us as a body, specifically, in particular. So tonight, as you pray, maybe it's not time of confession, but time of reflection and remembrance as to who we are as Christ's body presently and what happened to his body as he walked this earth. It was broken and bloodied for us. We'll have a word of prayer, and deacons, if you will go ahead and get ready, and we'll pray.